I've always had a passion for influencer marketing within the brand that I was working in, really understood the influencer marketing from a business perspective. And then I saw a bit of a gap in the market for creating a more personalised agency, connecting brands with influencers. Within six months, had a lot of influencers approaching me, started helping them. And within that period, I had then doubled my income from what I was on at my current 9 to 5. I never want to be this huge agency where you have hundreds of influencers and everyone just feels like a number. I think that's a really important thing to me. We always take it back to you know whether we're taking on an influence or looking at a team. Can everyone sit down at a dinner table or a live team thing, something like that, and get along? I have always been so business focused and business orientated. It's all I've ever thought about since I was 10. <laughs> Believe in yourself, give it another go, see what happens. If it doesn't work out, that is so fine, but you have learned something from this. How can you take that into the next chapter of your life? Hi, my name is Isabella Linden, and this is Life, Money and Love. Just quickly before we get started, guys, if you've been enjoying the podcast, can I please ask that you consider leaving a five-star review and subscribing on whatever platform you've been listening. It really helps the podcast grow. All right, anyway, we're back. Isabella Linden, we have on the podcast today, uh, the founder of Vive Management, a really cool influencer marketing agency in, in, in the digital space, doing really cool things. Um, you've been around for three years, so I really want to ask you, obviously, like we do on this podcast, we'll go through your story, kind of what you've learned along the way what some of the pivotal decisions were for yourself and some of the moments and some of the thought processes you had to have. But um, I just want to read out some of the brands that your agency works with just to get a p- bit of a picture about the ki- kind of um, talent you're working with and the level of the productions you're working with. But some of the biggest brands in the world, obviously Amazon, Dyson, Boohoo, Bondi Sands, Princess Polly, YSL, Frank Body, Mac, Pretty Little Thing. The list goes on. So you obviously have had a lot of really cool success um, and done some really cool things in the, in the last three years. So once we go through your story, kind of get to know you, I really want to do at the end, maybe the second half of the podcast, really dive into like the influencer marketing space and the content production space and kind of get a little bit more tactical and go ask some specific questions about the process, what you see working, because I think that can be really valuable. Obviously, it's not just a business podcast, this one, but a, a lot of it is ba- based around business and regardless of what your business is, your niche, your passion, whatever it is, social media is obviously going to be such a, a crucial part of that. So I'm keen to get your thoughts on all of that, someone who's in the weeds working on this stuff every single day. Um, but welcome to the podcast and thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited to chat. I promise. I promise it won't be a gossipy podcast. I know you, you want to stay away from that stuff. Um, but look, let's get started. As I said, you you launched Vive about three years ago, almost exactly three years yes. ago I saw on your Instagram. So yeah. happy birthday to Vive. Thank Exciting you. times. But I kind of want to know, talk to me about when you started it, what was going through your head? Were you thinking about starting it for, for a while? Kind of paint the picture to what you were doing into the lead up of it and yeah. Yeah. So um, about three years ago, well, just a bit before, I was working in a fashion brand um, as within their marketing team. Um, and this was when the first lockdown happened. Um, and I'm a very like go, go, go person. I do not switch off. Um, so when the lockdown happened, I was doing my nine to five, but I was going, what else can I do outside these hours? Um, and so I have always had a passion for influencer marketing. I worked as an influencer forever ago. Don't do it now. Um, (laughs) but really kind of saw how that process works. And then within the brand that I was working in really understood the influencer marketing from a business perspective, how they choose influencers, Mm. how that whole process works. Um, And then I saw a bit of a gap in the market for creating a more personalised agency, connecting brands with influencers, really just developing that space a bit more. Um, So that's how I started helping a few friends with their emails. They were just going, Izzy, how do I write an email? What do I do? How do I negotiate with brands? Is $20 enough for a post? What am I doing? Um, So Yes, it is. For all the brands out there, yes, get $20 clubs. You're you're, you're laughing. Um, So I would do my nine to five in lockdown and then just start helping my friends do emails after hours at 5am, whenever I could, I was doing that outside of work. Um, and then from there, just started building up really rapidly. More friends started helping me, word of mouth started getting around and I just thought, why don't I just put a name to this, mm. see where it goes. Um, and then within six months, it just kind of took off <laughs> out of nowhere. Um, had a lot of influencers approaching me, started helping them. Um, and within that period, I had then doubled my income from what I was on at my current nine to five. Um, so then kind of continue that for another six months where I was working insane hours. Non-stop, I imagine. Non-stop. <laughs> um, and it just got to the point where I couldn't give the nine to five a hundred percent of my time and effort. And that's something that I'm really, really passionate about. And 
never wanted to let them down. So I thought I had to make the decision, took it, and it was the best thing I ever did. Do you know Ali? Ali Reynolds. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm good friends with her. Ah yes. Yeah, yeah. I started anxiety, obviously yes. with a cool brand. Um, so <laughs> yeah. what 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 was the conversation like with them? Because it sounds like I don't know. Take me through through your thought process, but it wasn't like started to be like in six months, in a year, I want to be doing this full time. It didn't yeah. really sound like that. Was that the case? Yeah, yeah. Um, literally, slowly, just kind of building and building. Um, and then sat down with them. I, I still work with them. I love and adore the brand so much. Um, and it was one of the hardest conversations I've ever had to have. Um, and I, I was just really open and honest with them. Said, look, this is what's happening. They understood my position as well. Um, and I was very, very fortunate that they still wanted to continue working with me through as one of my clients. Um, so today I'm still with them. Still love the brand so much. Um, but yeah, it was a really tough thing at the start. And I thought, what what have I done? Yeah. <laughs> have I made the biggest mistake in my <laughs> life? Um, but yeah, it was the best. Were, were there any days that you, after you made the decision to to leave and just commit to this full time, were there any days that you questioned the decision or maybe had a hint of regret or have I bitten off more than I can chew? Were there any thoughts like that? I, I would say. I would say no. <laughs> good. That's a good answer. I, I'm extremely lucky that, you know, a lot of people do take risks early on to think, okay, look, this is my business idea. I'm going to leave. There's not a set of income already coming in. Or I was lucky that that income was already coming in and it was stable. And I'm not a huge risk taker in that sense. So that's why I waited to that point. Um, so from there, it just continued to grow. It has every single day. So that's where I am very, very lucky. <laughs> yeah, And I, I wanted to ask you, you kind of um – alluded to it at the, at the beginning when you're talking about what you wanted to do and how you'd position your agency. Now, one of the questions I did want to ask you is obviously there's so many influencer agencies out there, so many talent agencies out there, such a saturated market. Like how do you do something differently? What's your like, how do you go to market and be like, okay, why should an influencer come and, and, and be managed by you? What's that thing that you wanted to create differently? And why do you think it's obviously clearly worked? I mean, you've been able to have so many people get referrals and send their friends to work with you as well. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me was creating that support network um, and really just developing influencers, I guess, for their relationships with the brands as much as possible. Um, I had worked as myself as an influencer with an agency before and I just saw with two agencies specifically um, and there were a lot of things that they were great but a lot of areas that I could see for improvement and wanted to develop myself. Um, but I think... It always just comes back to influencers. A lot of people don't realise that they are by themselves 24-7, if not, like, you know, all the time. And they need that support. They need that guidance. And that's something that I really wanted to help nourish and be there for. Um, and I think because at the start it was a lot of my friends that I was helping, I was so passionate and wanting to see them grow that, you know, I was really you know, setting up meetings with them every week. Where can we connect you with brands? Let's organise meetings. Let's always look for that next opportunity for them. Um, so really just being that support network. And then my aim was to grow an agency where everyone was could get along really well. Everyone would support each other. Everyone would go to events with each other. Um, and really just, yeah, be that support network. Yeah, because you said you, you, you'd you done a bit of work as an influencer before. Can it be lonely as an influencer? Because everyone's like, oh, they don't really work, blah, blah, blah. Obviously, this, it's so much harder to create that much content. But talk about that because I feel like that's something that doesn't really – get mentioned or spoken about much is like they are out there on their own. They're like a, a sole trader. They are their own business. And if they just have a really transactional agency and like, like here's your job, but there's nothing really outside of that. I'm, I'm sure it can be really lonely. And if you're maybe someone who's young, just moved into the space, don't maybe have a lot of business experience. It could be very easy to get lost. Yeah. And I think it's extremely overwhelming as well. Doing all of the emails, negotiating, knowing what to charge, you know, is exclusivity and extra fees, usage, all of those things. Um, and on top of that, and a lot of other agencies that I had seen or heard of or things, you know, you could only say no to a certain amount of jobs per month. Um, and that was a really, for me, it was a red flag because if you don't align with that brand, you're not going to deliver quality content and you're also not being true to yourself and putting out there what you that's, love. That's weird. You can only, I, I, I've obviously worked with a lot of influencers and a lot of agencies from the brand side, but I've never, I didn't know that. That's crazy that you ha you have to say no to a, uh, you can only say no to a certain amount of jobs. Yeah. Yeah. So a few agencies run like that. I don't think it's as prevalent every, at this moment yeah. in time as much anymore. 
Um, but yeah, it's just really focusing on how an influencer can develop the best quality of content, always promoting what they love mm-hmm. and therefore their audience can relate and help grow with them and build that relationship. Um, but I think overall influencers, I mean, a lot of people don't see it, but influencers work extremely hard and yes, it's very glamorized. Oh, they just get delivered this product. They get to take a video, whatever, but there are so many hours of creating the content you know, some people can spend six hours creating one TikTok. They're then editing that for a few hours. They are then home all day long doing this one video, which a lot of people don't see. And a lot of, also a lot of brand or customers or followers don't see is the turnarounds from brands, the pressure that sometimes these briefs can have, all things like that. Um, so I personally think that for them, having that support is really important. Yeah. And on that point of like delivering the content, there's – there's this obviously really fine line, this balancing act that I'm sure influencers, content creators have to balance because I'm coming at this with like the brand's perspective and like, but I also know what it is like as a creator. I've got a lot of friends that influencers and have to create the content for the brands. Now, obviously it's changed now and, and the way influence marketing or, or content marketing now, it's like, it's got to be really organic and real and natural. You almost don't, you don't want it to feel like a collab, but how do you balance like getting content that, getting content from your influencers, the people you work with that, you know, will convert. Cause for a lot of the customers conversion, like your clients conversion is going to be the number one goal, but then balancing it with, oh, the influencer wants to be really on brand and cool. And they, they don't want it to seem like they do all these paid collabs. You know what I mean? But at yeah. the end of the day it is, and, and that's their job. So how do you, how do you get the content that does both? Cause obviously the best content is able to do both and that's why it works the best. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that comes from, Firstly, me knowing my influences, that's always been my number one priority to go, okay, what brands do they like to work with? What do they want to promote? Where do they see themselves going? So then if a brand comes to me, I'm not going to negotiate and you know, waste the brand's time if I know they do, the influencer doesn't align with them. Um, so firstly, it's just matching the right influences with the brands. Um, and then from there, it's going, okay, well, say the influencer is happy to move ahead. We're then looking at the briefs to go, can the influencer deliver this type of content? If not, let's have these conversations. Let's go, okay, well, the influencer would generally, which I've seen brands really open up to within the past six months, where the influencer go, okay, I love this brief, but here's my concept idea. This is how I can see it you know, coming out or coming together. Um, and then from there, the brand might give a bit of feedback. The brands will approve this. Um, and nine times out of the 10, the brands want influencers to create content where they see most organic less salesy because that will also drive more results. Um, So I think it's just having those open conversations, really understanding the brand side and the influencer side, me coming in the middle, figure out how to plan and how we can make that work. Yeah. Because what's, what do you see works the best in terms of performance for brands out there that are starting to work with influencers or already are what briefs can't uh, in your experience, get the best results is the ones that are really scripted and structured or is it the ones with maybe a couple things that they want you to include in some guidelines and then it's more open to the influencer's own style and interpretation? Yeah. Always if a brief is smaller, the influencer will do more. If the brief is long with lots of dot points, talking points, this, that, they just go, oh, this, I'm too overwhelmed. This is too Yeah, hard. that's so true. Um, so yeah, we as influencers and all my team love when a brief is a bit smaller. They have the brands going, okay, you just send over your concept ID. Let's figure out a plan. Let's see how we can best make this work. Um, and that's where we see the best results and the most success for a brand because the person is just speaking about the product or service organically. Um, and we do always try and push a test or trial period before they promote it on their socials so that they really have time to try it, Mm. make sure, see how it works, see results, everything. And then they're speaking from the heart and that's what really shines through. And people can, you know, followers can see if something's just an ad. Yeah. And I feel like maybe when you, even when you started three years ago, I'd say like with your collabs, they could be more salesy and, and like, it could be more like the traditional, okay, what are the features? What are the benefits kind of shit? And that used to work. It used to work really well. Obviously direct result marketing with influencers was something that was so pivotal for pivotal for happy skin code to, to scale so quickly, but that's changed so much now. Like the best content for us when we work with influencers and then even leverage that content for ads is just like make something that is so uniquely you, so full of your personality. And if there's like one or two th- points about why you love the product in that, 
that's what sells these days. It's so funny how like human behavior and psychology psychology has changed and why I feel like people have just got so conditioned to influence marketing. Something sticks out as an ad and so scripted. You just switch off. Yeah. You just switch off and it's not entertaining to watch. The, the brand will probably get worse performance as well. But yeah, it's interesting balancing act. I wanted to get your opinion now. Something on like I've been I've been, I've wondered about how agencies get set up in terms of the structure. Now, is it it seems like there's two types of agencies and this is probably like the, I don't have any experience in agency then, right? But there's like the big agencies that have hundreds of influencers on their books, but clearly it seems like a lot of them aren't exclusive and it's like the the boutique ones maybe 10, 20, 30 influencers that are exclusively managed. What uh, which type of agencies vibe and, and what do you think the pros and cons are of each? Yeah, yeah. So um, I would say Vibe is more of a boutique agency. We, or for me personally, I never want to be this huge agency where you have hundreds of in, hundreds of influencers and everyone just feels like a number. I think that's a really important thing to me. Um, again, just purely based off experience. Um, so we focus on having that smaller team. So at the minute we manage about 50 influencers exclusively. Um, and we always take it back to, you know, whether we're taking on an influence or looking at a team, can everyone sit down at a dinner table or a, like a vibe team thing, something like that and get along. If someone doesn't fit into that picture, we just <laughs> it's just a no from us. So that's something that we just love having that small team. Everyone has become very, very close and that's what we love and is so supportive to each other. Um, so for us, that's the approach that we want to take and making sure that we can always manage everyone, um, you know, always supporting them as much as we can rather than everyone just, again, that transactional, they're just feeling like a number. Um, but again, for the bigger agencies, that can be a great approach for them because there's a lot more work potentially coming through with, you know, hundreds of influencers, that kind of thing. Um, so I think it just comes back to the business's goals and where they want to have the agency yeah. head. With, with the relationships you build with um, with everyone on your books, with your talent, would you consider yourself more as like a manager than an agent? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, more like just their best friend. Yeah, because like, that's that's <laughs> – it was so funny seeing Jesse like um, recommend you It's, it's su- like in such glowing terms. It's, it's, it's pretty rare. Most people just, oh, yeah, there's my manager. I go, you know, flick him an email if you want to work with me. But yeah. it's never really seeing that passion and connection. So I really wanted to explore that and see – uh, and kind of see how you did that differently because, like I said, there's I've worked with probably 30 influencer agencies, some much better than others. Um, so it's interesting to figure out what that secret source is to kind of, you know, do something differently. Now, I want to go a little bit back into the journey for you now. The day you, you, you quit quit the job, you had to have that conversation with them, one of the hardest conversations you've had. Talk to me about the first few weeks going out on there alone, you were in the position that you did the smart thing. In my opinion, you were earning good enough money to be able to support that move anyway. But what does the first few weeks look like when you go full time and you think, fuck, I really need to actually take this serious, take it to the next level, grow the agency. Yeah. So I, um, so at this point I was working from home, um, just set up an office at home. Um, and 99% of my job is emails. So it's just working through that Mm. insanely large (laughs) inbox. Um, And so I spent the first few weeks really just being grateful that I could give it 100% and I was on emails all the time. And it was incredible to see how many more collaborations started happening because of the fast response times. Most people don't realise that, you know, a collaboration can come about within two hours the influencer can be creating content the next day and it's going live the day after that. So to be able to be present 24-7, probably unhealthy, but be <laughs> present like that um, and see the opportunities that it gave my influencers was something that just like it just lit up inside of me. I got so excited. Um, and then from there I thought, okay, well, this is all going really well. What are next steps? Um, so I looked at taking on a few more influencers. So I would reach out to some, look on who were kind of coming into my inbox um, and slowly started building the team um, and then got to a point where I just thought I can't do all of these emails by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hired our first employee probably within, oh, I'm going to say about six months. Um, and then, yeah, from there just slowly just kept building and building. And now at a point where very, very happy with the team, don't want to take on 10 influencers a day um, and just slowly 
kind of building it, taking it day by day. And how do you how do you find new talent to, to come into your books? Obviously, you get some referrals, but what are you looking for and how do you find and approach the influencers when you feel like someone could be a good fit? Yeah, so looking at engagement, I think that is the number one factor. Um, and especially from brand perspective, followers aren't really a number that anyone looks at anymore. Um, so engagement is a huge thing and looking at the community that the influencer has. Um, I think that is pivotal within influencer marketing because there are so many influencers nowadays. So looking at who has that really strong community, who, you know, responds and connects with their community um, and then looking at, well, can we create opportunities for them, help them take that to the next level? Where are they within the market? What's kind of going on? So we do, you know, watch some influencers for a bit, see what they're doing. Is the content that they're promoting something that something that also aligns with us and our talent and the brands that we work with? Um, and yeah, just having those chats, seeing where those conversations mm. go, um, and just making sure that we also align with them. And do you still, like you said, you're not trying to take on ten influencers a day. Do you get people apply, or do you still try and build that out, like one a, what a couple a week or something like that? Are you still trying to grow the agency in terms of talent wise, or more work for the for, for the current clients? Yeah, so on average, we probably receive, I'm going to say, oh, maybe like 15 applications a week for people wanting to join, um, which we're very, very lucky. That's sick, yeah. Um, but for this moment in time, we would generally do an intake of, say, two to three at the start of the year. And then we go, okay, look at our current workload. How is everyone going with their meetings, connecting with their team? What's kind of going on? Um, and then if we think, okay, we can probably take on one more person, then we'll look at onboarding that but it's a it's a very slow process for us because we're not rapidly trying to grow yeah um we're definitely open to it and that's not to say that we don't ever take on anyone because we have recently um but it's just we want to grow slowly and make sure that the processes are correct and yeah everyone still feels connected to us and and on the flip side how do you bring in like how do you find the partners the brands to work with how do you actually start finding work in the early days, are you sent, essentially you become the head of sales? Are you setting up pitch emails about your agency or your talent? How does that work? Yeah, so when we onboard a new influencer, um, we would do an outreach to all of our brands, just letting them know, hey, when I've taken on this influencer, this is some of their insights, their media kit, a bit of information about them, um, and start just building the connections that way. A lot of the influencers that we do take on already are working within the space, so we just take over communications there, start building different partnerships for them um, and really just trying to grow them as an influencer as much as we can. So maybe if we sit down and go, okay, well, this type of content isn't working. Let's look at your insights. What's going on there? Let's try and do this type of content. Let's get you in meetings with Instagram or TikTok and see how you can develop in that space. So really in those early stages, it's the trial and error of let's see what's kind of going on. Mm. And then once we find that niche or the correct brands, so many different factors, we just then really drive that space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in terms of like once you've got you, – you're developing your talent, you've got all your current – obviously I, I read a small percentage of, of the awesome brands that you work with. Do you also have someone in your team that's reaching out to brands you've never worked with before? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so um, our talent manager will reach out to well, whoever is managing the influencers – um, they will be constantly reaching out to brands. So uh, one thing that we're always doing is with our meetings with influencers, going, okay, this is your current workload. Do you want to take on more work? Yes. Well, then th- what brands do you want to work with? We put a list together. We then outreach to them. We outreach to similar brands. We're outreaching every single day. But, you know, yeah. So, <laughs> and, uh, insane. Um, yeah, because that's where I was going with it. How do you identify the new brands that you want to potentially work with for, for Vive and for all, all your talent? Yeah, so I think a lot of it is just matching it to the right influencer. We never reach out to a brand and say, hey, he's 10 influencers because we really, again, want to make create that more personalised relationship, putting that one influencer forward rather than five and then one of them potentially missing out or something like yeah. that. Um, so really just trying to drive that individual influencer as much as they can individually um, rather than as a group. You mentioned the workload <laughs> you laugh I, I, I laugh I haven't been sleeping much so I mean my tired feels as well but how do you manage that as a as a as the leader of an agency as a business owner like how do you how do you manage I know it's a silly word but work-life balance 
doesn't exist. <laughs> um, no, I think it's it's honestly something that every year it's something that I'm trying to work on. In but at the same time, I do realize that you need to work hard to grow your business to you know work for my influences, get them opportunities. And I think when it's something that you are so passionate about, you just you do it and you don't even put any thought to it. Um, but you know I'm. I'm currently probably working about 12 hours a day and that's what I'm really trying to yeah. zone down. <laughs> like I think I, I put up a story a couple of days ago that I was just not, not burnt out, I've, but just the last three, four weeks have been like working from like eight to like 10 Yeah, every single day. And I love, I love working, but I, I, I'm very aware that long-term in terms of longevity, you, you can't do that. Like I'm really passionate and, and I, I believe that 95% of people, and this is not what people want to hear, could work harder. But I still think there's 5% of people and then there's like times that you need to pull back and sometimes you need to slow down in order to actually go further forward. So I'm interesting about, interested about how you manage that and how you keep your 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 mind fresh and, your, and emotionally not too drained. You said obviously when you're so passionate about it, I'm sure that helps. But is there anything else you do in terms of you're working 12 hours a day, you're probably sleeping seven or eight hours if you're lucky – what do you do in those other, you know, four hours that you have to yourself to kind of keep you fresh? Morning routine, night routine, what do you do to, to help? Yeah, I'm, I think I'm very good at knowing when my body's going, okay, you're about to hit burnout. Let's put a pause. Let's stop for a second. Um, so I think I'm always trying to implement different practices to make sure that I'm not burning out. I think I spent a lot of years at uni burning out, getting sick. And that is something that I'm always trying to avoid. Um, so I think a big thing for me, I, well, not that I wouldn't say the past month, but end of last year, I had a very, very good routine every day where I'd wake up, I'd go for a walk, listen to a podcast, get me, you know, motivated for the day. Um, I would then go to work and then finish work, go to the gym. Um, whether that's then I come home, switch off in some sort of way, probably watching TV shows, something. Yeah. Don't really ever have time for that, but when I could. Um, and then making sure I get a somewhat early night. But it's just sticking to that routine for me. And I'm very, very big on my sleep and having those areas to switch off. I used to try and read. And I thought, okay, reading is not for me. Um, what other areas can I focus on? And that's where I turned to exercise because it helped me fully switch off. Yeah, it's so interesting that like we know we need to have a structured life and some element of balance to be able to do it long term consistently to feel good, to feel our best and actually perform our best. But it's so weird that so often I find myself, okay, I'll do that. I'll get into a good routine. And then a month later, I'm already back to like working so much more than I I, I plan to. And it's just like weird, the pressures we put on ourselves yep. as like an entrepreneur, like there's so much opportunity, there's endless amounts of work. Like I'm sure you're getting emails all throughout the night or all, all in the morning you wake up. It's like, when do you know, like, when do you know when's enough to, is enough and when you pull back because... I don't want to be the type of person that's like, no, no, you need to work so hard until like you can't take it anymore or you're burning out. But it's just difficult for me. I'm very aware of what I should be doing, but listening and 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 not automatically going into working too much, I find myself doing that too often. Yeah, yeah. And I think for, well, for me, it's taking that pressure off yourself to, oh, I need to be going to the gym. I need to be working. I need to be seeing my friends. I need to be doing all of those areas. And I think that, you know, if you need to take an afternoon off just to have some new time to slow down, that it's okay and not feeling guilty for it. I think that's a really important thing that we as business owners, but I mean, a lot of people in general, you feel so guilty for not working and that is almost burning you out even more by feeling the guilt. I'm Yeah, I'm guilty of that feeling that guilt <laughs> for sure. And it's weird. Like I, I didn't used to be like that. Um, I've got to the point now where I'm okay having like weekends off, not the whole weekend, but like having a lot of weekends off, I'm fine, but I could work 12, 14 hours, four of the days and then take a half day, one of the days. And I can't, like, I feel so guilty. And it's like, why, why do we do that? I, it's for me, it's just, I know, and again, some people don't want to hear this, but I know that hard work is one of the most, if not the most important rest like ingredient to success there's no getting around it people will want to say don't push that like balance is really important and i agree but if you just i'm talking for me personally this is an advice for anyone if i look at 
the people that have been the most successful that I know in all the different industries, 99% of the time, they're one of the absolute hardest workers in that space. There's no such thing as just an overnight success. So it's interesting. Yeah, I just can't find a way around hard work and that's where I'm at right now. But yeah. If you figure it out, let me know. <laughs> uh, I will. Um, and people that would listen to this or know me know I'm really fascinated with everything to do with mindset. Um, I'm just leaving this broad. Like if I would say, talk to me about mindset or what's your thoughts around that and growth, what would you say? It takes time. It takes time. Um, I think, you know, personal development and growth and mindset and everything to do that is so important. Um, I spent, one of my first jobs was running personal development courses for teen girls and that really forced me to see the importance of those aspects in your life. Um, but I think it's it's hard not to compare, you know, what works for someone else? Why doesn't that work for me? Or how did, how did that person develop or grow or something? So it's really finding what works for you and trialing so many different things, whether it's, you know, say a mindset thing of reading different books or listening to different podcasts, finding what works for you and taking the time to just work in that space slowly. It doesn't have to be an overnight thing that, you know, you're going to grow or this is going to change your life. But I think just implementing those small steps every day um, is really important. That's really interesting. What's part of like a program for personal growth for, for a teenage girl? I'm curious. So we, um, it's called Shine From Within on the Sunshine Coast. Um, we would run courses over the school holiday period for 11 to 18-year-olds. Um and it was just getting them into habits early on in life that they could then take throughout the rest of their lives. So meditation, journaling, um, healthy eating, exercising, very, very basic things. But sometimes you just need someone to say, here's another idea or just give it a go. Just try it and be there for you. <laughs> and I think, yeah, seeing them, seeing them when they started the course to then finishing it was incredible. The yeah, they I love that because they don't. Obviously, they don't teach you that stuff in school. Yeah. And why isn't there a subject on like mental well-being, how to get the best out of yourself, how to set goals, how to achieve goals? Just that one subject. Fuck one of those stu boring, stupid subjects you do at school that you don't use. Life skills. Like yeah. teach people how to do their taxes, how to set goals, how to structure their days. We would have such a more high-achieving society if we did that. I don't know why, but fuck, I love that. What was that? program is it like an outside of school thing like what was it yeah yeah so it's yeah shine from within outside yep. of school um and then we also did things within schools as well mm. and that point you mentioned on like personalization what works for you it's the key in, in every area of life like diet training habits practices right what what works for me won't work for you won't work for the boys you have to find your own thing and the only way to do that if you're feeling stuck is like you said to try different things if, if you were going to speak to someone who was in a bit of a rut personally in career wise, and they came to you and be like, look, Izzy, I want to, I want to make a change. I want to, you know, improve my life for the better, but I'm just not sh really sure what the next step would be. What's a couple of things that you would recommend someone to, to start trying as one of the things to, to potentially implement? I think to firstly, just stop and be present and figure out what might be going on that's making you feel like that. Um, if that is career change, can you do some work experience elsewhere? Can you read some books to learn about other areas of work or that kind of thing? Um, but I think, yeah, it's just really becoming present, stopping and focusing to see what's going on in your life. And then, again, taking those habits that you might find work for you and slowly implementing them in your day, whether it's going for an ocean swim in the morning, just making you feel fresh, excited for the day, um, and then, yeah, I think it's just getting rid of those thoughts of or habits that you've done every single day of your life and going, okay, how can we switch that up? Mm. What's what's kind of going on? Mm. And you just, yeah, but the f first step, like you said, is just sometimes to slow down, yeah. stop, evaluate, reflect. What am I enjoying? What am I not enjoying? Yeah. And it's sometimes easier said than done because everyone's, we live in such a fast paced world now. Everyone wants results yeah. straight away. And if they don't get results straight away, they quit, they give up. And then it just like makes the pressure even worse you know what I mean that, that we ha that we put on ourselves that society puts on ourselves what's what's the difference in terms of like the amount of um weight you feel on your shoulders or maybe the strain in your mind now that you're the head of a business running it versus when you were an employee um back for a company even though you can have 
100% commitment to your role and want to be the best you can. But talk to me about kind of that experience because for the people that are thinking of starting their, their first business, I'm, I encourage it so much, but also it isn't for everyone. There is a lot more additional stress and pressure. What's your being, your, what's your experience been like figuring that out as uh, through doing it? And then how have you managed that extra pressure? It's, it's tough. It's definitely tough. Um, I think early on there were a lot of stresses, um, may have been certain processes weren't in place. Um, me just setting those boundaries of, you know, 10 PM, get off the computer. That's get yeah. off that. Um, I, I think a lot of it is just setting those boundaries. Of course, easier said than done. Um, but once you have them, it slowly will come and the stresses will alleviate a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think it just comes back to you for me personally, it's having those well, exercising, eating healthy, um, making times for friends that, I feel like I still have a life joint with work um, and balancing it all. And that's funny as well. Like sometimes it's the obvious things that you miss. Like I've always been really active. Like uh, exercise has been built into my life. It's never really something I've had to think about. So I've never really thought of it as a tool until recently. And sometimes um, because I'm most of the last five years, I'd like be working on weekends quite a bit. Uh, and more recently I've been taking at least the whole of Sunday off. And like half of Saturday. And then sometimes doing that because I'm so, I never stop thinking during the week. Like there's just such this momentum that builds up in the continuity of thought. And then I'll have like a whole weekend and a half off. And I come back in on Monday and I'll be like, wait, what, what am I doing again? Like where, where, where was I going to kind of collect my thoughts again and re-establish that momentum. And then what I've realized coming off the back of a weekend, what I've been doing on Monday mornings is I'll go for a run yeah, and I've, I've always like done all my training in the afternoons or the, or the nights but going for a run, even just something as small as a 5k run. Then when I come back, I have like a cold shower and I'm ready to go. I feel so much better. Yeah. But even me as someone who's been so active, never thought of like exercise as a tool to improve performance mentally. Yeah. Crazy. Um, it's like, well, we'll ignore that buzzing. Um, I want to ask you some influencer stuff kind of about the process of running an agency, creating content. Cause like I said, it's so important for everyone, regardless of what your business is. Now you've been in the game for three years. You worked in influencer marketing for a couple of years before that as well at status anxiety. What's some of the biggest changes that you've noticed over the last couple of years in terms of how to effectively do and execute influencer marketing? It's changed dramatically. And I think what I say today could be the complete opposite tomorrow. Yeah. Um, a lot of businesses will try and implement one strategy and think that that's the be all and end all to influencer marketing. But I think the biggest piece of advice is being able to adapt to the market and just see what's going on all the time. Um, algorithms change every day. Influencers change every day. Content change everything because it is such a saturated market that you need to be able to adapt. Um, so I think a big thing with, pulling together an influencer campaign. It's finding the right influencers for your brand, looking at, you know, who, again, engagement. I think that's always the number one thing that I try and put forward. If your um, goal is sales, sometimes it's brand awareness and it's just going, okay, well, let's get my product to as many people as possible. Um, so it's really identifying those objectives, finding the right influencers. And then once you do looking at those briefs, how can we make it succinct as possible? Um, of course, you've got legal things in there and bits and pieces that you do need to address and make sure you're aware of. Um, but once that all kind of comes to life, you're sending out your briefs, you're connecting with your influencers, um, making sure that you're receiving content for approval. That's a big thing. Just making sure it aligns with your brand, all of that. Um, and then once it does go live, tracking where possible. So using your, um, your links, your discount codes, um, looking at how influencer community is responding um and really just seeing what happens watching it you you mentioned tracking and obviously analytics data is going to be really important in in, in your business at the start selecting which influencers are going to be great to work with and then tracking performance afterwards now obviously there's insights on your instagram and tiktok and stuff but is there any other software you use to manage your influencer marketing your talent that really helps it and streamline things give you more visibility that sort of thing there isn't anything that we use um i think for the brands that we manage, um, so that's a separate part to the business under Vive Social where we manage influencer campaigns for brands. Um, 
we within that space are constantly looking at their insights, um, different software or platforms that we can potentially work on for them. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's just once an influencer go li- goes live, looking at everything in the back end of whether it's Shopify or Google Analytics, along with their Instagram insights, um, and also seeing what happens on the website is what we're always watching. You know, is there just more traffic to the website? The hardest thing is that you it's so hard to track influencer marketing. And that's what when someone starts out and they run their first campaign, they're like, but I didn't get any sales. And you've got to look at it as a holistic approach. That is our biggest thing that we try and make everyone aware of because some people just think, oh, yep, I'll pay one influencer. I'm going to get 50 sales. That's not how it works anymore. <laughs> no, yeah, it's not. It used to be. Yes. It, it, it used to be, but things obviously has changed. The game's developed. Um, and I, I feel like it – yeah, it means you have to do things a little bit differently. You have to think about it a little bit more strategically. Um, you mentioned a little bit earlier on that follower count doesn't really mean anything these days. What are the metrics that matter? Engagement. So your likes, your comments, your shares and your saves. Um, then looking at the influencer's audience. So if you're an Australian company wanting to focus on females, so making sure that their analytics match the country, the gender, the age, making sure that that all aligns. Um, Then looking at their content, can you repurpose that content for your channels? Um, Can you use that content for ads? What else can you do with that content, but making sure that that piece of content can be used in multiple platforms? Um, And yeah, I think they're kind of the main things. Yeah. And with Vive, you obviously, you you have the social side where you're running and coming up with the campaigns for, for the brands that you work with. What's your process for content creation from like the ideation phase? Okay, this brand wants to do, do a, a collab for this product launch. How do you come up? Like what's your process like for, for coming up with the idea for the campaign? And then how does that filter through to like the final deliverable with the influencer? Yeah, so it's a long journey. <laughs> um, a lot of brands love to give us a week to turn it around. <laughs> um, but I think it's just thinking outside the box. That is our biggest thing that we're always trying to think, how can we do this completely different to everyone else? Um, And by doing that, people are seeing fresh ideas, new perspectives. It gets influencers excited for something else. Um, So for us, it's, yeah, coming up with that idea. How can we develop a strategy that's, you know, connecting the brand to whatever it might be? Um, And then from there, we then look at selecting the influencers. So, again, picking out those things, engagement, their content, um, that aligns with the brand. We're then connecting with them. There's a lot of emails back and forth, sending briefs, negotiating rates, um, timelines, content for approval, everything that goes on within that space. Um, and then they're going live. Do you have any advice on uh, negotiating deals for someone who I'm sure has negotiated thousands of deals? <laughs> Well, I'm sitting on both sides of the fence. I'm sitting on the influencer marketing side more, so I'm going to say yes to all of the rates that I provide. <laughs> um, but again, I, it just, it's just looking at budgets. Is there thing. flexibility in there though for a lot of influencers or is it pretty black and white, do you feel? That's a good question. Um, we set rates that we believe influencers are worth, looking at their demand, what they can deliver, what results they've driven for other brands. But of course, every brand loves to negotiate. So they're going to try and push that down to the lowest rate. That's where we're fighting on behalf of our influencers. So it's just figuring it out. It, it must be difficult now. Obviously, I don't I have a team who does like all of our collabs. I'm not negotiating the deals really anymore. But like the thing that's changed, you know how we said like, you know, three, four years ago, you could do one influencer post and get 40, 50 sales, right? Now, like that's changed so much. It's harder to get results from influence marketing, but now all these influencers, their rates have increased, but the performance has decreased. Everyone's reach has decreased, but the rates haven't adjusted with that. So I'm finding that like if, if someone represents good value and this is me playing devil advocate from the brand side, sweet, I'm happy to pay it. But it's like that Delta is getting bigger and it's like the ones, if you can just price yourself fairly, you're going to get so much work, but so many people. Yeah. will overprice himself. I'm like, it's not even worth negotiating. If I'm willing to pay you 20% of your rate, I'm not going to offend you by, you know, because like, okay, yeah, you might create awesome content, but what is it really worth to me and my brand? Yeah. You and know? I think that's a really big thing that as an agency, we, so for me personally, when I worked at Status Anxiety, I was receiving 
everyone's rates from every agency under the sun, from every influencer. And I watched my mindset and my team's mindset of if the rate was too high, we're not even going to bother negotiating. That's ridiculous. Yep. Whereas if it's a bit more like, okay, we can, we can work with this. Um, then we were open to negotiating. We didn't shut down straight away. So the rates that we come up with our influencers, they're in our minds, they're priced well. And it, we never had feedback. We never have feedback that these rates are ridiculous. They're way too high. And we have been very, very fortunate to create all of these relationships with a lot of brands um, who have then also become my best friends. And that's our biggest feedback that you're not priced ridiculously that I can't even work with any of your influencers. And that's yeah. something that we really try try to work with. Still, of course, getting influencers the best rates possible. But sometimes if it's just bringing the rate down by 10%, there's, the brands are happy to move ahead. The influencer gets the work. They're getting more work overall. Yeah. So everyone is you know, happy. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's tricky with that as well because – Look, Happy Skin Goes is a very established brand now, so it's fine for us. Um, we, but I do a lot of like mentoring with like smaller e-com brands, people just getting started and like they might have had some success just working with um, micro influencers for just product and maybe like affiliate like commission based on sales and now they're ready to start spending money on um, on actual – like on, on some little bigger influencers to try scale it, take it to the next level and – Look, just looking at that, that list of brands that you work with, some really big brands that, like you said, if you're doing hundreds of thousands of dollars a day, 50K a day plus, you don't, you can't really tell how good an, an individual influence is working. So it comes down so much to what's the point of it. And it's just hard for some of the smaller brands. It's why you have to be so much more specific with who you work with and the type of content. Because at the end of the day, a small brand just kind of getting started, all they really care about is ROI. Yeah. Yeah tricky right yeah definitely and I think that's where we're very open with say the brands that we manage for their influencers that you know what is your objective if you want sales right now well how do we go about this maybe influencer marketing is in six months time we need to run an event now we need to put the brand out there in a different way and then come to influencer marketing and we're very big on the six touch points that someone needs to see the brand six times before they make that purchase so Influencer marketing is incredible at doing that if you can send the product to lots of people or you can invest in that space. But maybe sometimes it's an event where people are seeing the brand pop up 20 times from all these different influencers attending. So that's that first touch point happening. Maybe the second one's there. Then it's going, okay, well, do we run some ads? What's kind of an avenue that we can take in that space? Then start looking at influencers. Do we just do a PR send out with no obligation to post? We get some response that way. That's you're just sending the product, you're not paying for the influencer. So there's a few different approaches that we take. But at the end of the day, it always does seem to come back to influencer marketing that a brand does see huge results from. Yeah, I think the, you can definitely still get a lot of um, sales and, and direct results from influencer marketing. Like I said, it you've you got to think about it differently and you've got to do things differently. But I feel like, and I'd love to get your opinion, do you feel like over the last few years, um, the role that influencer marketing has changed from everything you used to be able to do branding and really really great conversions from the first post and that's why people say before I, I started the business one of the jobs I had was working for a, a marketing agency as like a small business advisor and like it was the same thing we were selling packages blah 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 like uh yeah you need eight touch points to get someone to convert that's bullshit man the best I'll tell you what the best results Happy Skin Go ever had working with influencers when it was the first time our product was hitting that market and the first post they ever did would always, always outperform the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth. So I don't agree with that. I understand it, but I'm saying, and, and I know that's what they teach, but like now it's changing. I feel like it's the main, like you still can get those gems that are just fucking amazing creators. Their content's yeah. so relatable that people want to purchase them and it comes down to what you said, community, how connected they are with their following. But to me, it's more about branding and discovery and less about conversion now, would you say? Yeah, definitely. A lot of um, brands are coming to us for brand discovery pieces. Mm. That's a really big thing um, and just educating their audience rather than saying, oh, you know, here's my code, click this link, whatever it is. It's what we've seen actually work, I would say within this past six months that say an influencer is booked for a story, story set. So a story set will include usually three individual frames Rather than doing that all at once, it's going, hey, post one here, post there, post the mm -hmm. second one here and the other one down the track. Um, by doing this, the influencer posts whenever they want. They have, of course, maybe three talking points they need to discuss. Um, but
But from doing that, their audience is then seeing the brand prop up a few times. They're going, hey, I've, I've seen them using that quite organically. They're using that in their morning routine, whatever it might be, um, and giving the influencer the flexibility to talk about in the way that they feel most organic is seeing the results. See, that's exactly what I'm talking about. The ways like that, there are still ways to get direct results and sales from influencer marketing, but you need to approach it differently. Yes. I, I love that. And obviously, do you feel like stories are converting almost better than posts these days because you've got that direct swipe swipe up link right there? Yeah. And I think with the current algorithm, specifically on Instagram, stories and reels are performing a lot better. Yeah. Um, but a lot of brands we're seeing are booking stories and TikToks because TikTok still has that really good algorithm to reach a wide network. Um, a lot of brands are investing in that space while, whilst it's still quite early. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Um, whereas that I Instagram algorithm is a bit harder to tap into. Mm. What, what are the role? It's great. Like great point you bring up. What are the role? What role does TikTok play with the brands you work with compared to Instagram? Is it exactly the same? Is it slightly different? How do you see that? I think Instagram is still, it's still that key factor, but a lot of brands are seeing a few more results from TikTok. So they're diving into that space a little bit more, but they're still coming back to Instagram. It's still like Instagram is that safe space. We're going to take that risk in TikTok, see how it goes. Sometimes it doesn't work, so they're back to Instagram. Then they're going, okay, let's try this new strategy on TikTok. So they're still working within it, trying to figure out what works best for the brand. Um, but I've seen for influencers, it's still that mindset of Instagram is my pretty platform, whereas TikTok is my ex- I can experiment Real, on there. you know, have fun. Yeah. If I post 10 videos a day, it doesn't matter. If I, you know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see that play out um, and just see what people come up with and what they're doing on there. Yeah. I feel like Instagram has become, it's been like this for a while, but it's like your calling card. Like yeah. it's like, okay, oh, here's this really cool brand. You should check them out. You don't Google it. Yes. You Instagram them. Always. And that's why a brand's feed and the aesthetic is so important because if someone lands on an Instagram page and they don't like what they see, whether it's the highlight covers or it's the logo, the bio, they're not going to scroll. Mm. So that's why we make that as such an important factor, I guess, for brands wanting to work with influencers, make sure you have that aesthetic feed before you work with influencers. Cause you don't want to drive all these influencers or all these people to your Instagram feed. And then they go, oh, yuck. yuck like, yeah. yeah. I'm not, I don't want to purchase from them. So that's why that's it's it's almost like your storefront. Yes, way. exactly right. Because even though like, look, reels you can still get some good good reach, and Instagram I think are trying to do things to to bring a little bit of reach back to compete with TikTok. But it's like, it has to like you said, like what do you want people to see when they come check out your brand? Yeah. And this is a bit like random, off topic a little bit, but not off topic, but. With someone that TikTok's obviously a big part of your business, I'm sure. I don't know if you heard the rumors how maybe they'll ban TikTok and stuff. Yeah. What's your thoughts on if that happens? You think it'll happen? I don't I don't think so. I hope it doesn't, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it will. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Um, but if it does, I think, again, everyone's just going to come back to Instagram or there's going to be a new mm. app. So it's just take each day as it comes. Whilst you can now, I would say to invest in it, play in that space because you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. Um, on all the awesome stuff that you've done. I did have a question I wanted to ask because you guys do events as well. It's not right. It's not yeah. just like, uh, like digital collaborations. What's one either event or idea for a campaign um, that you've come up with and created that looking back, if you had to pick one that you were most proud of, you'd say, yeah, that, that was pretty cool. Oh, good question. <laughs> um, I think events is something that we're really passionate about because it's a great way to put out brand awareness. And I think that if that is an objective for, an, a, brand, for a brand, that's definitely an approach that they should be taking. Um, I think it always kind of comes back to the personal events, the ones where it's not 150 people in a room. It's where it's more intimate. Um, I'm just thinking of one where we did one for status anxiety um, last year and it was a bad collaboration with, um, another influencer, um, and just creating that safe space for influencers to come together, feel supportive again, they're by themselves at the time. So that was a really big thing. Um, and just kind of 
see everyone bring things back down to earth. Very genuine. Just have a lunch. Talk about the brand. People are posting things more organically. They're able to take photos well. So therefore, again, that's helping brand awareness. Um, just really creating that safe space to everyone feel welcomed. And yeah, we've seen really good results driven by that way. They're posting a lot more content than we thought they would, driving more traffic to the websites, driving sales, all things like that. Yeah, because I, I wanted to ask you, I've never done an event with Happy Skin Care. We've never done one. I've obviously had a lot of agency partners suggest it. What's the point of events for brands? Because like this is me being like, why would I spend money on that when I can just spend money on digital ads? Or like if I wanted that much traffic to the website, I can use that money and I'll drive way more. And with the product, like I can see it for some brands being really good, but a product, for example, like a Happy Skin Co, two, $300, um, you're not going to just buy a product that's that sort of a product just by seeing one influence at a pretty event. You know what I mean? What's the point, pitch, not pitch it to me, but like what's the point for brands that are growing? Like why are events a key part or can be a key part of your strategy? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, I'm repeating myself now, but is brand awareness in the sense that you create a, an event that is very personal to your brand. So maybe for Happy Skin Co, it's not sitting at a pretty lunch or it's not invite everyone to a huge room where, you know, you just have drinks and there's not a lot of, I think purpose, purpose is a big thing with events. So whether it's, you know, you send, you think of an, an event in a different way that maybe it's send five influencers to a hotel room or something a week, um, create a little event space within there. They can try the product there. They can have a night out, seeing how they implement it, whether it's before they're going out or just that kind mm. of thing. Um, because then it's a way for influencers to try your product. Whereas maybe before they didn't want to do a post straight up because they haven't tried it. So they've declined a collaboration. So you may be able to get bigger influences for less because they're you're also providing an experience. Um, and then from there, they, if you create an experience that people love, they will over deliver. So therefore as a brand, you're receiving a lot more content than you originally thought. Um, again, sales or things like that. Um, and it's just a different way to put your brand out there. I think a big thing that a lot of brands say to me is, oh, but I can spend that money on ads. Yes, you can, but for me personally and a lot of people I know, I don't want to see ads. I've, I've seen too many of them. What's a different way that I can mm. see a brand and go, oh, that's so fun. Like I want to create that at home. Maybe you, part of this event is that you give it away to some of your followers that they get to experience. And I think incorporating your customers is also really big. We're getting to this point with events where people don't just want to see, oh, there's so-and-so at the event. They're always at events. Cool, cool, cool. It's just all the big influences. People want to start feeling included. So I'm working with brands to go, how can you invite some of your customers to this? How can they experience this as well? Because word of mouth through them is also really, really big. You've sold that to me better than anyone else has. <laughs> I love the way you think. I love the way you think differently. And that's exactly right. Every time we've been pitched, oh, let's put a lunch on. I'm like, why? Yeah. Why? With a, like a, I feel like hair and everything. Like, what, why does that make sense? But that was also a really good point. Like Stax is a brand that does that really good, gets yep. the customers involved, their events, their community. They've exploded and I feel like connection to their, you know, customers has been one of the main reasons. And obviously Dom and Tilla are, are really smart and really good at what they do as well. But for anyone, like for the people listening, that's the way to think about events, how to, how to actually make it relevant to your product to elevate the experience. So that's really good. Now, a couple last questions I, I want to ask and we'll wrap up now. First one, we were talking a little bit off air. Um, I usually like to do a lot of research uh, on the guests. You're a little bit harder to do research on. Um, what's, but I know everyone has them. Um, what's one event in your, in your life or, or, or business career, whatever you want to be like the one, if you had to name one like piece of adversity or struggle you had to overcome and then get through to continue on your path. And how did you get through that? Um, just trying to think, I feel like I've had a lot of, I don't know if I'd call them struggles, but I've had a lot of instances that I've had to overcome, um, focusing on work, looking at where I guess I've had to, there might be, you know, an instance in work life that seems very, very overwhelming, whether you've, something's happened with an influence and there's lawyers involved and all of those bits and pieces, um, where just going, okay, again, I think it just always comes back to stop, 
let's figure out a plan. I'm very, very solution focused. So how can I overcome this? You know, what's the best outcome for everyone? What can we do here? Um, and yeah, just kind of taking it. I mean, that, I feel like that's not a great answer. <laughs> no, it's all right. Like I just know everyone, everyone has like this, not everyone, but I feel like maybe this is, I've put you clearly, I've obviously put you on the spot. You don't know any of the questions <laughs> I was going to ask you, but I feel like everyone has this like personal hero journey that they've gone on and have overcome. And then once they get through that, they've been able to get closer to stepping into like the best version of themselves. So I'm always yeah. curious to see like what that moment was for people. Um, what, what was going through their head? in that moment because we don't know people listening. Some people might be killing it. Some people might be just starting. Some people might be in the middle of their, you know, struggle, one of the big struggles yeah. of their life. And it's like, if we can give people like a little bit of like a, nah, I've been in a, in this position, I know it sucks, but there's always like, if you just stick it out a lot at the end of the tunnel, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think a big thing there is just believing in yourself. I think talking about business in the sense that I have always been so business focused and business orientated. It's all I've ever thought about since I was like 10. Um, that it's just believing in self, keep going. Um, a lot of my influences come to me and go, oh, I just launched this, but I just can't do it anymore. I want to quit. It's just go, you know, believe in yourself, give it another go, see what happens. If it doesn't work out, that is so fine, but you have learned something from this. How can you take that into the next chapter of your life? That's, that's another really interesting thing that we could talk about. Like influencer starting brands, I think is such an awesome opportunity. Like not every one of them should, but if you've, if you've got a big enough following and I think you're like really missing the opportunity by not doing it. Some of the most successful brands to pop up, particularly in the fashion and beauty space has been influencer led brands, obviously looking at the bigger scale, Kylie and Kim and all that sort of stuff, but massive opportunity there. Now, bit of a random question, but I wanted to ask you as someone who spends all day, I'm sure between your phone and your laptop. What's one app that you can't live without? Without. And not just like mail. Yeah, well, I just live on mail. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, I use Asana and ClickUp. Oh, ClickUp's the best. Fuck yeah. ClickUp fam. Manage my life um, and my influencers' lives. I think that's a really important thing. If you looked at my Asana, you would laugh what my influencers put in there. I know one of them is pregnant at the minute. I know every appointment that she's going to. <laughs> I know absolutely everything. Um, so that's really important for us for managing my staff, managing my influencers, managing myself, everything. So I think it's just staying on top of organization. What do you use Asana for versus ClickUp? Like what are the two roles they play? So we focus on Asana for our influencers. So that's putting in all of their briefs, absolutely everything goes into there um and then we use ClickUp for everything to do within the business internally such a good tool hey like we've been on it for like a year yeah it's the best yeah you can't because i've got multiple businesses that i work across now um and this obviously is, is there's a lot of work to it i would not be able to manage without ClickUp. i don't know how i used to do it without it <laughs> oh dude if you haven't if you've got a business or multiple things going on in your life try click up it's not really expensive just changes things so much for you now um what's next for you for vibe what do the next few years look like what's the vision where do you want to take this yeah i I get asked that honestly almost every day and it's crazy to believe or just see how far we've come so far um i think we definitely still you know there's still so much i can learn and want to learn um so for me it's investing in those areas of my life where I can learn more, bring that back into the business where my team can learn more. Um, so I think a lot of it's personal development and, you know, what the team's growth. Um, and then looking at how we can create more opportunities for our influencers. Um, it may not be collaborations. It may be starting their own lines. I know some are writing eBooks that are developing apps. That's what we're working on with them. Um, and then for the business as a whole, it's, I would like to see it grow, continue growing as it is but still at a steady pace that we can yeah. manage and yeah. Well, the first thing you said, it's like, even if you just focus on the personal development piece, learning, getting better, the rest will take care of itself. And yeah. It's what I try and tell people. Like some people, no, just tell me your best marketing hacks. I'm like, I can, but you won't do anything with it unless you, you know, yeah. Yeah. focus on personal development growth and learning and perspective shifts and that sort of stuff. So I love that. Um, and where's the best place for anyone that wants to, to learn more, to find you, potentially work with you? Um, where's the best place to find you and Vibe? Vibe. Yeah, so Vive Management on Instagram is our influencer side. We then have Vive Social on Instagram um, for all the social media events 
stuff and then vivemanagement.com.au for the website. Cool. Um, I really enjoyed chatting to you. It was good to spend a lot of time talking about the influencer space. It's something that I've spent a lot of my life working in. Um, and it's always good to talk to someone who, who's really in it in day in, day out because things change so much. So thank you for sharing your story, your time, everything you've learned. Excited to obviously watch you guys grow from here and go from strength to strength. I've heard some really good things about what you guys do. So yeah, thanks so keep much going. I love me. it. All right. Thanks so much. Another one in the books. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or you got something out of it, do yourself a favor, do me a favor, do your friends a favor and share this with them and they can come along on this journey with us. Thanks again and I'll see you next time.